What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. This is Amy Brown from Four Things with Amy Brown. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between offering quality care and support virtually in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways that Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthier happens together. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. Hey friends, welcome to Movie Crush. This is Charles W. Chuck Bryant coming to you from the studio here in Atlanta, Georgia at Pont City Market, where during the day I am co-host of Stuff You Should Know, and at night I dim the lights and turn on the projector and get Movie Crush going. This week in the studio we have, well, in his studio and me in my studio. This is a remote session, but we have Mr. Roman Mars. Uh, Roman is the uh, host of 99% Invisible, which is one of the uh, not only greatest podcasts of all time, but one of the greatest pieces of culture that this country has to offer. I'm going to go ahead and say that. Uh, Roman is a great guy. Uh, he is also the um, the mastermind and head chief of Radiotopia, which is one of the great, great podcast networks out there. They host some of my favorite shows on the web. And I met Roman, goodness, I met Roman through email probably six or seven years ago. Uh, I met Roman before 99% Invisible was a thing, when Roman was a producer and employee of PRX, and he was a fan of Stuff You Should Know and got in touch with uh, Josh and myself and said, hey, guys, how would you like Stuff You Should Know to be on public radio? And we said, well, we think that's kind of a neat idea. Uh, and we took a couple of calls with him and um, talked about it quite a bit. And in between the time we talked about getting the show going on public radio, uh, Roman went along 
and created 99% Invisible. <laughs> and we never heard from him again. <laughs> Actually, that's not quite true, but um, that became his primary job. And uh, then he created Radiotopia. And we clearly knew that if we wanted to get on public radio, that we had to go a different route because Roman was now a superstar of the medium uh, and rightfully so. And we've been so uh, happy for his success over the years. He's just one of the great dudes in the world. A super nice guy. Um, you really won't meet a better person in this uh, podcasting industry or entertainment industry than Mr. Roman Mars. So obviously he has his own studio out there in uh, California, like we said. And uh, I got in touch with Roman as one of my first guests because he's a pal and we have uh, similar sensibilities. And Roman did not take long to pick out Jaws as his favorite movie. And I got super excited the instant he said that because this is, uh, I know we're only a few episodes in, but this is the the first time that even though I did love Let the Right One In and I liked Tron, uh, Jaws, I've often called my favorite movie of all time. It sort of vacillates between several different films. Uh, but in my blog post that I did a few years ago, where I listed my top 100 movies and the Stuff You Should Know blog, uh, I did put Jaws that week as my favorite movie of all time. Uh, released in 1975, obviously directed by a very young uh, and up-and-coming Steven Spielberg. Uh, this is the movie that really put him on the map. Written, I think he had a part in writing the screenplay, although officially... Um, I don't see him listed as one of the writers. I see Peter Benchley obviously wrote the book uh, that was released the year before. It was a um, sort of a smash hit summer uh, beach reader, uh, which is kind of ironic, and captured the public's attention uh, in book form first. And then Benchley and a man named Carl Gottlieb wrote the screenplay. I have heard over the years that Spielberg did uh, write on the screenplay as well, so... Uh, even though he's not officially listed in the credits as such. I think he did have something to do with it. This is back when Spielberg was writing more. But at any rate, it stars the great Roy Scheider, the great, great Richard Dreyfus, and the great Robert Shaw as sort of the three-headed protagonist of this film, uh, battling the killer shark. I remember being a kid and thinking the shark's name was Jaws. A uh, very young child. I think I was, what would I have been, four or five years old when it came out. And um, But it even captured my attention as... A kid that young, that's how big of a pop culture phenomenon this movie was. Um, obviously, spoilers are going to abound, but if you haven't seen Jaws by now, then God have mercy on your soul is all I have to say. It has been called a horror film in some circles. In fact, on a recent Stuff You Should Know, 10 horror movies that changed the genre, we even talk about Jaws a little bit, uh, although I have always maintained that Jaws is an adventure film uh, more than anything else even though it does have some pretty terrifying elements. Um, at the end of the day, for me, it's an adventure film and one of the great, great movies of all time. So um, it's going to be interesting to talk to Roman because I've seen this movie so many times. It is weird, to be honest. Um, I've seen this movie more times than people should probably see a single movie. But I think, I think Roman is in the same boat. Uh, so it should be pretty interesting to see how two diehard Jaws veterans uh, think about this movie and kind of what it means. Because I know Roman watched it last night and I watched it today. So what it means after all these repeated viewings uh, should be fairly interesting to see where we land on that. So uh don't want to keep you in suspense any longer. We're going to get that shark out of the water and onto the boat. And coming up in one, two or three seconds, 
Jaws with Roman Mars. I did see on uh, on Facebook that you posted that you watched Jaws last night for about the 30th time. <laughs> <laughs> I did, yeah. I was I just wanted to um to bone up, you know, just make sure I remembered all the parts and it's a, it's a funny. Well, I don't want to start now, but yeah, it's. I, I just wanted to. I I, I can't go in. I'm a, I'm an over preparer. I'm just a producer at at heart. I can't help it. So, well, it's funny because I watched it. Um, I watched about ninety percent of it two weeks ago because you know it's one of those things, and probably for you too, it's one of those movies. If you're flipping it around at night and catch it, <laughs> it's hard to turn that channel. So totally. I, I watched about ninety so percent of it, and then I still watched it today before I came in all the way through, <laughs> because I realized I hadn't made notes or anything. And as mm-hmm. much as I know the movie, I was like, "Yeah, I'm kind of like you." I was like, ah, "I should probably scribble down some some things, just you know, since I'm in the sort of the driver's seat here, I need to be a pro." Cool. <laughs> but uh, yeah. before we get into Jaws, though, I kind of wanted to ask you just a little bit about the. Uh, your kind of general movie fandom growing up. Um, where are you from, California? No, I was born in New Jersey, and in the early part of my life, probably the first time I re- really went to see movies, I was living in uh, North Carolina and South Carolina, so oh. in the South. So you moved around then? I did. I moved around a lot. I didn't move to California until I was in my mid 20s. Okay. And and you and I both lived in Athens, Georgia. I think at we did a, a little bit at the same time, right? I I think so. I lived there from ninety four to ninety seven. I was in graduate school there. Okay, I went eighty nine to ninety five. So we overlapped for about a year. Yeah, yeah. It's a fun <laughs> place. I haven't been back <laughs> since I left. I miss it, but it, I left under such dire circumstances. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> that, that yeah, just you know, like. Uh, breakups and weird friendships dissolving uh, and everything. And so like I've been scared away for years, but I think enough time has passed now that it's been, you know, almost 20 years, I think, uh, or over 20 years, I think, um, you know, it's, uh, I think I'm, I'm safe. Yeah. So. I think, <laughs> I think a lot of people have had that experience where they see the town in the rearview mirror and you're like, never coming back. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I loved it. I really did. I, yeah. I loved, um, all these aspects of it. I thought, you know, in many ways, I could stay there forever. Sure. Um, which is a bit of a syndrome of people who live in Athens. Oh, yes. Absolutely. <laughs> and, uh, but I loved, you know, the taco stand and the grit and, yeah. Um, going to the 40 watt. I mean, I, I, I loved it so much that it was, it was kind of a problem when I was in graduate school because, right. I was one of the graduate students who like always went out and saw shows and my friends were, you know, were, were residents and not, and not graduate students. And so it always kind of pulled me in a lot of different directions. I feel pretty sure if we compared show notes from 94 and 95 that we were at a lot of the same shows. I would not doubt it. It's totally true. I mean, I I went to, I went to, I mean, at that time I was, you know, convinced a, that I was going to start my own record label. Yeah. Um, B that I, that I could not survive in a place that didn't have at least two shows a week that I wanted to go to. Yeah. And I was just like, I was convinced. And one of the reasons why I left graduate school was I had all these friends because the, you know, postdoc fellowships were so competitive that they, um, you know, if they had to go to some place, some tiny town, 
and do their postdoc, they just had to because it's like 100, 200 people applied for it. And if they're lucky enough to get it, they just had to take it. And I just couldn't stand to have, you know, my life controlled by that. Yeah. And I wanted to be someplace where I could, you know, like go see punk bands. I mean, it was just like, it was everything to me. And if you would have told me I was just a lame middle-aged guy now who just like <laughs> barely can go out, you know, like on like a good night can barely go out to see anybody. I know. <laughs> I, would, I would, I would, I would be very shocked by it, but it was, still, it was, it was, it was every, it meant everything to me. Yeah. To, to I still try to go to shows as much as possible. Um, and it helps when there are the venues that have, uh, you know, un, uh, decent starting times, you know, but some of the, yeah, exactly. there's a couple of the clubs here in Atlanta that's still like, the band's going to go on at midnight and I just, you know, you know how it is. Yeah. I can't do that. Yeah. Can't do that. No, I, I, I do think that there's a, you know, like a designed experience where you would, you, if it, if a, if a venue really wanted to be very, very good for all ranges of people and like really start on time, really publish when everyone starts, do all that stuff. Yeah. You, I feel like you would, you would attract a really loyal clientele totally if you did that but um that's just not the way that those places work yeah i mean i feel lucky if i can get start times exactly yeah you know so there's like so now i go like if i know if i know someone you know and i feel like it's like oh yeah it'll be nice to, just to see that person and stuff like that but i don't do exploratory you know here's a band on a label that i like yeah which was home that well in I, the athens days it was so that great you could go to the 40 yeah. watt uh on a blurb from the flagpole for five bucks on a Thursday night and totally. have your mind blown. Yeah. And that I, that I miss. I miss that a lot. Me too. We should get rid of these kids and move back to Athens. <laughs> <laughs> we should just follow around <laughs> punk fans around the country. <laughs> so your, uh, your movie going experience though was, uh, largely like where, when were your kind of early teen years? Is that North Carolina? Early teen years would have been Ohio, actually. So I moved to Ohio in, <laughs> in uh, third grade. Okay. And so that, that would be the time when I, um, you know, I could probably go to movies on my own with a friend, you know, yeah. to be dropped off, see things. Um, we, we had no real policy at my house in terms of whether or not I could watch R-rated movies or whatever. Oh, I could watch man. whatever. Lucky you. Um, I worked my, uh, my cousin, in Memphis, who I spent summers with, she owned a video store uh -huh. and I worked in the video store all summer long as a sort of unpaid teen, you know, like <laughs> underage employee. And so I would watch movies all the time there and take movies home. And, um, and so, uh, but then I would, you know, I would go see, I mean, I don't know if my movie taste is like all that different <laughs> than what it was when I was a a teen, I just had a lot of access to, I really fell in love with like kind of older seventies movies. Yeah. Um, at that, it, at the period when I was going to the video store a lot uh, or working in the video store a lot. Um, and so I think of movies, I don't think of movies as things in a theater. I think of those, um, VHS boxes and the box art. That's, that's my, if, if you were to say, do you like movies? That like, that's the picture I have is that rather than a movie theater. Yeah. Um, that's funny, man, because my uh, grandparents, my mama are from Memphis and I would spend a lot of summers, not full summers in Memphis with my grandparents. So, uh, mm -hmm. I think you and I were constantly crossing paths. It seems like <laughs> over the years, what part of Ohio? Where did they live in? in Memphis? What town? What part of town? 
Oh, in Memphis? Um, yeah. They had a house in Germantown. No shit. Really? Yeah. Like, that's literally where I lived, in Germantown. <laughs> that's so funny. What if, like, well, yeah. I, I didn't, like, I didn't get out much. Like, you know, when you go to the grandparents' house, there's just a lot of staying in. So that's kind of mainly what yeah. I did. But, no, um, we, we, my aunt lived in Germantown, and uh, my cousin lived with her on and off different times. So funny. And the video store was in Germantown. They didn't move in. They moved to Mid- Midtown in Memphis uh-huh. you know, later on. So I got, so I got to know Midtown. But yeah, it was, it was all Germantown. It was, it's crazy. <laughs> what part of Ohio? <laughs> Central Ohio. Um, it was, uh, Newark is kind of outside Columbus. So uh-huh. it's a small, you know, industrial town. Very now very depressed. Uh, I don't, I don't know what's going on there these days. But, right. Uh, but I would go into, Columbus to have my sort of culture, but you could be dropped off at Indian Mound Mall and, uh, and, and watch a movie and that was okay. And there was still like a dollar theater kind of nearby my house, like a second run theater, which is right. The, that's the, if of all the, you know, movie things that I get nostalgic for, it's probably the existence of second run theaters, which don't really happen much here in the Bay Area. That's not a thing, you know, like cheap theaters. Yeah. I, I think there probably is still one in Atlanta. When I grew up though, um, I'm the same as you. There was one, a 99 cent movie, uh, near Northlake Mall. And I think it had two screens and we went there, uh, cause second run, I don't know how it's done these days, but it's not like second run was that far behind first run. Totally. Not you know? at all. Yeah. We had my, um, where I lived in, in Chicago, uh, uh <laughs> um, more when I was an adult, um, uh, there was, I lived in Logan Square and there was a, uh, uh, Logan Theater was a second run theater. We used to call it Logan's Second Run. And, uh-huh. <laughs> uh, and it was, it was a great place. Like it's when my kids were born, uh, when I lived in that apartment. And so I could just, I just would walk over and I'd watch anything for like a couple bucks just to get out of the house, you know? <laughs> yeah. Cause they're, they're more than a dollar now, right? Yeah. I think they were maybe, it might have been three or something, but it was like in this great neighborhood and, you, they put out popcorn and, or that you could get popcorn and they always had hot sauce for your popcorn, which is oh, like nice. a real, which is a real great Latino neighborhood sort of, uh, uh, perk, you uh-huh. know? And so I would get a bag of popcorn and put a bunch of, uh, hot sauce on it and then eat it in the theater. That's a great place. That's funny because the 99 cent theater, they, I remember they had a huge stack of pennies and it was, you know, they didn't round up. They would, it, slide the penny and your ticket stub <laughs> across. <laughs> and I always thought that was kind of a nice touch. That wasn't lost on me even as like a 12-year-old. That's hilarious. That's hilarious. <laughs> so do you remember your first, uh, I mean, you might as well get into Jaws. Do you remember your the first time you saw that? I imagine it was on VHS. It it was. Um, I definitely saw Jaws on VHS because I, I was born in 74. So um, it, you know, it probably lasted and came back in the theaters while I was you know, cognizant and going to movies. And I was taken to movies that were wholly inappropriate when I was a kid. (laughs) My first movie memory is going to see Blue Lagoon, maybe as a four (laughs) or five year old. Um, and then I saw, uh, Star Trek, uh, the the motion picture, Uh which is almost more inappropriate for a child of that. I was, I was so bored. I just remember like being kind of into it visually, but just being so bored. It's a pretty slow Um, movie. Yeah. So I definitely saw Jaws in, as a com, in a combination of like VHS and also, um, by the time I was 13 or so, I had a little 13 inch TV in my bedroom. Uh-huh. And 
I, you know, and it was on, you know, cable was expanding and it was on TBS probably, you know, like every couple of weeks or every couple of days or something. And it's a, it's such a, a weirdly complex movie. I mean, it, it, I mean, I don't say complex. It's more like it has all these scenes in it that you don't remember. Like it has, it's just this richness of, of, uh, scenes and moments that when yeah. you think about Jaws, you think about the the whole last section where they're on the ocean. Right. But there's a whole hour where they're not, you know? Yeah. And, and so you would catch it at different times and you're like, wow, I don't remember this at all, you know? And I feel like I saw bits and pieces of it like that and, you know, learned to fall in love with every aspect of it, not just, you know, a dude being chomped in half. Right. And, um, and that's when I really fell in love with it, probably more on TV than anything else. Yeah, same here. I mean, I was, um, I th- I'm th- about three years older than you. So I was old enough to where I remember, and it ran forever in the movie theaters. It was back then when, you know, they would tout like, you know, 400 days in and stuff like that in the ads, <laughs> which is just crazy to think about now. Um, but I remember it being a pop culture phenomenon and I remember Obviously, I wasn't allowed to see it because I, I had a kind of different deal growing up Southern Baptist. I was way <laughs> sheltered and they, my parents tried to keep me from indulging in anything that was good mm-hmm. and cool. Um, <laughs> but, uh, I remember being, you know, five years old and knowing Jaws was a thing, seeing the book mainly on shelves mm-hmm. and that huge, right. ridiculously huge shark on the book in the poster. And, uh, <laughs> knowing that music and, and obviously being a little Baptist boy, being very titillated by that opening sequence of the, uh, right, right. the, you know, shadowy naked lady. Um, <laughs> right. that's why when you said Blue Lagoon, I still had a little like shiver that went up my spine. Cause that movie as a, <laughs> as a young boy was like, Oh my goodness. <laughs> it's like the dirtiest thing ever. Uh, it was probably very tame looking back. I haven't seen it. I, 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 I've never revisited it, but my, my guess is it's totally tame. Yeah. <laughs> this is Amy Brown from Four Things with Amy Brown. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between offering quality care and support virtually in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways that Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthier happens together. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. The Home Depot wants every mom to have their own outdoor oasis this Mother's Day. Whether that be a new space to relax or a beautiful garden upgrade, at The Home Depot, you can give mom a gift that's as unique as she is with a stylish and comfortable place to entertain or relax for the mom who does it all. And with convenient delivery, you won't have to stress over getting it to her either. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers for the mom who's great with gardening? Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to 
bring out the most in our patios, walkways, and gardens with the Home Depot's Mother's Day Savings Event happening now. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants indoors and outside. Start your Mother's Day shopping and saving today by checking out the Home Depot's extensive selection online at homedepot.com or directly in-store near you with convenient pickup and delivery options. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. The Home Depot, how doers get more done. Hey, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude Tanneritos. As a nostalgic voice from your past, I'm here to remind you that amongst the stressful and chaotic existence we live in 2024, you deserve to get away. It's time for a vacation, no matter when you're hearing this. And let me tell you how you'll get there. The 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Want to bring the family to the mountains with the Santa Fe's available H-Track all-wheel drive? Well, it's got standard third-row seating and available dual wireless charging pads for the kids who just want to stare at their phone and not talk to you. You know what I mean. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. So Jaws, I remember it being a thing. I remember it being out in in the news, and I remember I remember it scaring me to go in the ocean, even though I hadn't even seen the movie. At that yeah, point. I I feel like I um I think my fear of it predated my real exposure to it as well. Yeah, I think my and it was so pervasive that I was this the same. You know, when I would my one family member who lived in Germantown had a pool and I'd be scared of the pool. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) Which is insane. Yeah. I Um, had the same experience. (laughs) And so, uh, it made us scared of water, (laughs) (laughs) which is just absurd. And so it was, it was real visceral. I mean, that, that fear of, of nature in that way just is, is, uh, is crazy and you just can't outrun it. It's just, nuts and when we were i was talking to my boys about uh, watching it and how it's my favorite movie and they they know it's my favorite movie and they're like when can we watch it and i'm like i don't know never why don't you just like <laughs> live you know like i know it's great and maybe when you decide that you can do it yourself and you can buy your own you know like when you have your own amazon accounts <laughs> that you can watch it but i feel like i would just be paying for it forever you know while they're in my house yeah, how old are they? Let them watch Jaws. They're ten. I have twin boys who are ten. Oh, uh, that's about the age, Roman. You might need know, to get them to, into Jaws. <laughs> I know it's is is definitely time, and they're into it. But I, and I love everything about it. I mean, the thing about the movie, and I figured out later on, you know, in addition to like it, you know, like it having like a real like, it has a real primal res- you know response in me. Mm-hmm. I think of it as I think of it as the best horror movie almost ever made i think it's the best adventure movie i think it is the best buddy comedy yeah and it's all put together in this way uh-huh. that you never get whiplash as to what moment you're in at yeah. any moment it's just it is so it is so well done it makes you realize why it is fueled you know 40 years of horrible blockbusters <laughs> that followed you know yeah it's like i think of it as being that good that um it, your memory of of the of it is the, setting the table for what a big summer movie was is um it 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 really it just i find it just transcendent and how how good it is well yeah there's no and in in watching it again today and last week um 
as an adult, the sense of it being an adventure movie really comes through a lot more uh, than, you know, when I was a kid. It was way more just like terrifying. Um, yeah. But even like the soundtrack uh, and the score from John Williams, it does have the scary bit that everyone remembers, that iconic, you know, but ump but ump But most <laughs> of the score of that movie is this very exuberant, uplifting adventure music. It totally, you know, and it, it happens in these great moments, and you just like you have a, you'll be, it'll be really scary, and then it'll be like do 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 do, do uh-huh. you know, like and they're chasing it, and it's just like it's totally. amazing. It's like it's like it's as it it does. It's it turns on a dime and it's really effective. It's I, I it is um it's one of my favorite scores. I would never like listen to it on its own or anything, but right. just as a compliment to a movie, uh it, it, it does amazing things. Yeah, and the other thing that kinda hit home to me was how how little little I will I will say almost zero fat there is in the movie. It's just so tight and uh and I think it still has a running time of a couple of hours. But it never drags. Yeah. There's not a single scene, and this is why I end up watching it so much. If if I happen to turn it on, there's not a single scene or sequence in that movie that doesn't draw me in. Uh, totally, I think that if you want to like, if you want to study how to, you know, put set a scene and present the densest amount of information in the most pleasant way, oh, the beginning totally. where Brody is going around the island without him really saying anything explicit without it seeming like exposition. There's like these snatches of dialogue where uh-huh. everyone's kind of complaining about, you know, the, 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 the karate class, um, you know, chopping through his picket fences. And then there's the, the guy who's trying to, you know, get him to do him a favor because of real estate or something. And then, and there's all this stuff that's happening and they're like, you don't know the whole story. It's like little, little sections of a story, but you get, uh, you get a real sense of what's going on. And it's, it's just brilliant. I, I, I can't, um, I don't know how they did it all. And, and you don't really see that in movies this, this way, you know, that way anymore. I, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty, I I was pretty amazed at it when I was looking at it the most recent time. Uh, it's, it's like stunning amount of exposition that's always interesting. And, uh, and it really does the job of, of making you understand what Amity is. I kind of I got the same exact feeling uh watching it today is that it's um like you said setting up that world it was done in such a subtle and efficient way uh I feel like movies these days everything is just so ham-fisted with the <laughs> setups yeah. and so obvious um even just the little part about establishing that Brody and Ellen are have moved there from New York to uh I mean it's Amity Island but ostensibly you know the New England area and right. these days there would be some stupid long scene uh where they talked about or maybe even god forbid like a flashback that actually shows them in New York or something <laughs> and he, right, they, right. and they did it all with just that one little exchange where she talks about the accent and you know parking the yeah. the car from the yard <laughs> yeah. and that's how we have right. to talk and she said something about you know you being from New York and that was it and yeah, yeah. To to a novice eye or a, a someone who's not a big Jaws fan, it just may seem like a little throwaway line. But to guys like us, we're just like, oh man, it's just so subtle and efficient the oh, way that world subtle, is set yeah. up. Everything it's like really subtle, really efficient. Everything it's like nothing is wasted, but it never feels rushed. And there are real quiet, beautiful moments that are 
just stunning. Like him at the dinner table with his son. Oh, God. That feels like that would be, that feels like that would be cut from a movie today. Yep. Um, it, it, there's these, um, the way that the dialogue feels very real. Like, um, you know, there's a, like, you know, after they have a horrible day and, um, and Mrs. Kittner slaps a Brody on the a face and yeah. he's drinking and, and, uh, and Hooper comes in and says, uh, so how was your day? And it's yeah. the funniest line. <laughs> like, it's just like, it's so great. And I, um, I just, I feel like there's just the subtlety and real understanding of how humans are in that movie that I just don't see. And it, and I, I don't, I don't get it. Like sometimes you could be doing these things and not do them well. And I would be annoyed and bored in a movie. Yeah. Uh, so it's, it's not like you can just put them in willy nilly these moments, but I just think every one of them is pitch perfect. <laughs> I just love it. Yeah. Uh, Oh man, I have to address both of those things because those are that, that sequence from, uh, well, the sequence from Kittner's mom, which is so upsetting because mm-hmm. I have a big justice thing and the injustice of Brody being blamed for that standing right next to the mayor whose fault it really <laughs> was. And the mayor just like a coward standing there. And of course, afterward he says, you know, it's not your fault, Brody, but, uh, and Brody just but Brody is, says it's his fault. And, and I yeah. actually think he's right. You know, like he he owns it. You know, like sure. he could have stood up and and he knows it. And it sort of gives him motivation for the rest of the movie. It's Absolutely. Like, you know what? You know, like I'm the chief of police. <laughs> you know, like he's like, let's go cut up that shark. And it's like, well, can you do that? It's like, I'm the chief of police. You know, you know, well, like that's such a great line. <laughs> it's like he, he's finding his like he he's finding his authority in this scenario. And and I feel like, you know, like. You know, never so dramatically, but I feel like uh, that sense of his his responsibility um, stayed with me. You know, I think that's a you know that's a great lesson in in just life is that it doesn't matter. You can blame all sorts of other people, but ultimately you just yeah. take it sometimes. Well, because that was Brody's chance to be a whiny baby and say, "I know it wasn't my fault," but he owns it. Wasn't it. Me, yeah. Uh, yeah. And then that scene, of course, leads right into the. Uh, the pre-dinner scene with the son that you were talking about. And <laughs> right. like you said, it's, I mean, I, I timed it today too. It's a 90 second scene um, that by all accounts these days, like you said, would be on the editing room floor, but it is mm-hmm. one of my, just that little 90 seconds is one of my favorite scenes in movie history for real. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's totally. just so sweet. It is really sweet. It gives you a sense of who he is and, his family. And it also gives you a sense of like, of now I'm a parent and it has one of the, I mean, even before I was a parent, like it's really hard to understand what kids do to you when you have them yeah, and how much they mean to you. And in these weird ways, like where you, you, you need them to buoy you up um, really, really often in the day as, as hard as they are. And, you know, as difficult as it all is. And like, I rely on my kids in much the same way that Brody does sure. uh, in that scene. And, uh, and they're like, give me a kiss. And this is why it's because I need it. And yeah. I feel like that almost every day. <laughs> I know, man. Um, <laughs> I'm right there with you. And it's funny. I, I lift so many lines. Uh, I'm, you know, one of those obnoxious people that goes around quoting movie lines for like half their, like half the things I say are probably from movies. Uh, and I 
realize that I say so many things from Jaws, and one of them is give us a kiss. Uh, I say that to my daughter all the time, and um, <laughs> you know the the scene with with Dreyfus when he comes in every time without fail. And my wife Emily gets so bored with all this stuff, but every time <laughs> I go somewhere and someone opens up a bottle of wine and pours a glass, I always say, "Oh, you might want to let that breathe for a minute." <laughs> it's just so dumb, and and like. Two percent of the people I ever say it in front of know what that's from, and the other ninety-eight percent just think I'm being obnoxious, I guess. <laughs> but that scene, there's that's so funny. many great lines in that yeah. dinner scene. Everything from "My husband tells me you're in sharks" <laughs> to the end of the scene, "I can do anything. I'm chief of police." Like those are just <laughs> iconic movie lines. Yeah, yeah, it's it's definitely full of those. It's so good, <laughs> and it also feels real. Like it doesn't feel. Um, they're not overly clever. They're not delivered in a clever way. It's totally. Just, um, it just feels natural and as funny as it would be in the, those moments and as heavy as they would be in those moments. So. Well, and the scene that kind of follows that is also one of my favorites, um, which is when and, – and I have to point out too, by the way, the mayor uh, was played by Murray Hamilton. The great Murray Hamilton is Mayor Vaughn who was Mr. Robinson in The Graduate was his other right, right, kind right. of a huge film role. But um, we were talking about how subtly Spielberg set up the world. Uh, in the the first time we see the mayor, he's wearing that sport coat with the anchors on it. And mm-hmm. just that little wardrobe choice was just such a nice way. Like, he didn't even have to say anything. <laughs> you just see that guy show up in that outfit and you know who he is. Yeah, totally. <laughs> But, yeah, uh, and his smile and everything. Yeah. It's, uh, really but the, after the, uh, the wreckage scene, uh, after Dreyfus, uh, after Hooper does the dive and finds mm-hmm. the shark tooth and the head bobs out, uh, they have that great scene with, uh, in front of the billboard with the mayor <laughs> and Brody. And I, I knew you would appreciate this. I've always thought that sick vandalism would be a great name for a punk band. <laughs> <laughs> sick vandalism. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's like that's so what good. he's upset yeah. about still. That's what he's upset about. Yeah. <laughs> that would be a good name. I wonder if that has ever been taken. <laughs> I don't know. Google it, John. It's, it's, it's time. Uh, so from there, obviously in the movie, it moves on to like everyone has their turning point. And I think with Brody, it was definitely like you said, when um, Kintner's mom who uh, slaps him in the face. That was where he turned. But then um, Mayor Vaughn had his turning point, too, after that mm-hmm. that final, you know, 4th of July, when he forced 4th of July to happen. Well, well not forced 4th of July, but he kept the beaches open. <laughs> well, let's talk a little bit about these characters. Mm-hmm. You probably know your, your Jaws trivia, but um, did you know all the various people who originally were supposed to play these dudes? No, I don't. I see. I don't know a lot of Jaws trivia. It's not something I've really looked up or anything like that. Um, oh, so yeah, right. it hit me. Hit well, me. get a load of this then. Uh, Chief Brody originally was supposed to be played by Robert Duvall, hmm. but he only wanted he, to play Quint. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I mean, I think Robert Duvall could probably have pulled off both of those. Like, I'm glad he didn't. <laughs> but he, yeah. but definitely he could. He could have done Brody at that at that age. He could have done Brody. For sure. Well, Charlton Heston was. I'm, uh, he was the other pick for Brody, which um, Spielberg apparently oh. didn't go with him just because he was no, too big for that I role. I wouldn't go with him. Too big and like you could, you know, it's like casting Schwarzenegger and something. It's like, okay, I know <laughs> you're going to 
yeah. I know you're going to Hulk out any minute. So let's just, you know, so you need someone who's, who's like, who you can see his strength, but it, it, it's hidden, you know? So. Well, Scheider brought such a humanity to that role. He did. And you, yeah. And, and one of my other, um, you know, kind of favorite Severin's movies is Marathon Man. And, oh, yeah. Uh, and he plays a real tough guy in that one. And you realize like he doesn't look all that different, uh-huh. but it, it's just how he carries himself. And you realize, oh, yeah, he's really he's doing this perfectly playing an every man in, in Jaws who is capable of stuff when he when he needs to. So. Well, yeah, and it was just so clever how they set up his flaws. Um, he wasn't some tough cop like he he was scared mm-hmm. of he, I guess, couldn't swim or was at the very least scared of the water. Uh, yeah, totally. Which yeah. is a great little Achilles heel to throw in there. <laughs> totally. It's so good. So Robert mm-hmm. Shaw, of course, played Quint. Uh, and it kind of occurred yeah. to me today that we never know what Quint's first name was. So I've always sort of thought that was interesting to, to, yeah, one, to wonder what I would put as his first name. I don't, yeah. Huh. I don't know why. I've never really, never really considered it. He's just Quint. <laughs> yeah, he's a Quint. Yeah. Uh, but Lee Marvin, uh, was, originally going to play Quint and Sterling yeah. Hayden was the other choice who was I don't know who that is. Sterling Hayden. Did you, you saw Dr. Strangelove? Oh yeah. 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 He was general Ripper in Dr. Strangelove. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then Dreyfus yeah. and apparently Dreyfus and Shaw were cast like a week before they started filming, <laughs> oh my God. which is crazy. Uh, but Dreyfus came in, uh, John Voight was Spielberg's first choice. And then he didn't work out. And then he thought about Timothy Bottoms or Jeff Bridges. Uh, mm-hmm. And, you know, now it's like with any film, once you these people have these iconic characters, you can't imagine anyone else. But I think a young Jeff Bridges I could see as Matt Hooper. I could, too, except for, you know, Jeff Bridges is, you know, is big and he can carry himself kind of big. And, right. you know, like he's and he's handsome in a different way. And and like there's something about the dynamic of. Hooper and Quint. Oh yeah. That where there's like alpha male, beta male sort of dynamic that uh-huh. is really important to that movie to me. Um, and where they, where they begin to, where they trade, you know, expertise and in different ways and, um, and try to one up each other. And then they come together in the, you know, in the scene where they're comparing scars and yeah, that they, you know, so, so, I totally, I could see, I mean, each of those actors, I, I mean, totally, it, it could have worked, but it just, it's so perfect the way it is, you know? Um, but maybe it's because it's my first exposure. Like I didn't really know any of these actors. Yeah. You know, because of my age, you know, but, but through, I mean, I knew them through, um, through this movie. And so, um, they're completely blank to me. Like maybe if I had seen Taken a Pelham one, two, three or, um, or, I mean, I guess I'd, I'd probably seen Close Encounters, but you know, like I didn't, I didn't have another uh, version of Dreyfus or, you know, Robert Shaw. Yeah. So, uh, th- this was the version that I had. Well, and Hooper, uh, as played by Dreyfus was just such a goof. Um, mm-hmm. he wasn't afraid to make dumb jokes or to be silly. And like you said, definitely not the alpha male, like the, his, like in the introduction of those two characters, like Quince has, it's probably the most obnoxious character introduction of all time, scratching his fingers across the chalkboard. (laughs) (laughs) And then you compare that to Hooper, who I don't know if you remember, but he, he steps up from the boat 
and he's like looking that other guy in the chest. He's so small and just goes, (laughs) hello. And that goes, hello yourself. (laughs) And he's just kind of goofy right off the bat. You know, he's not trying to be cool. He's not trying to one up anybody. He's, you know, he's a shark nerd. Yeah. And you can tell he knows stuff because the way he uses vocabulary in the, when he tells people, um, you know, to do different things because Brody sort of instructs him to like, um, you know, he, so he knows like when he, when he says, uh, you know, those guys in the fantail, blah, blah, blah. Like he knows the name of the boat, like exactly, right. you know, like they're never going to get out of the harbor alive. And he's like, this is what I'm talking about. Go out there, talk to these people. You know, like it's so, you know, he knows a lot, but he's not like lording it over people in any certain way. He just like you, the way that they use vocabulary is like so precise right. that he just, you know, he's smart, but he doesn't, you know, but he isn't like the, the most dominant person in the in the room until he gets to that autopsy or you know yeah. he's looking at it and he says don't smoke in here <laughs> thank you very much and it's like there's this moment it's like oh man this guy's this guy's couldn't be in charge you know yeah that was a great scene and another uh great example of restraint on the part of Spielberg to not you know these days he would the first thing you would see in that scene would be a close up shot of a mangled body of a of mm-hmm. a woman and uh I thought that you didn't see anything at all, but there is one kind of quick shot of the severed arm. But aside from that, it, the terror is listening to Dreyfus very clinically describe the wounds on the body. Yeah. I think the scariest part of the remains of the body are when it was found and it's covered in crabs. And that that part really freaked me out. <laughs> yeah. Like crabs going through and eating it. Oh, God. Uh-huh. That's, that's, <laughs> that is That is grim. That is grim. This is Amy Brown from Four Things with Amy Brown. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between offering quality care and support virtually in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways that Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthier happens together. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. The Home Depot wants every mom to have their own outdoor oasis this Mother's Day. Whether that be a new space to relax or a beautiful garden upgrade, at The Home Depot, you can give mom a gift that's as unique as she is with a stylish and comfortable place to entertain or relax for the mom who does it all. And with convenient delivery, you won't have to stress over getting it to her either. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers for the mom who's great with gardening? Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to Bring out the most in our patios, walkways, and gardens with the Home Depot's Mother's Day Savings Event happening now. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants indoors and outside. Start your Mother's Day shopping and saving today by checking out the Home Depot's extensive selection online at homedepot.com or directly in-store near you with convenient pickup and delivery options. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. The Home Depot, how doers get more done. Hey, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. As a nostalgic voice from your past, I'm here to remind you that amongst the stressful and chaotic existence we live in 2024, you deserve to get away. It's time for a vacation, no matter when you're hearing this. And let me tell you how you'll get there. 
the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Want to bring the family to the mountains with the Santa Fe's available H-Track all-wheel drive? Well, it's got standard third-row seating and available dual wireless charging pads for the kids who just want to stare at their phone and not talk to you. You know what I mean. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. So uh, a minute ago, you talked about uh, the scene, the the very famous galley scene. Um, Mm -hmm. And this is after they'd had their first encounter with the shark. Um, And then they're, they're drinking together. And this is when they really bond and kind of come together, uh, and you have the the scar comparing scene, which is one of the great great exchanges in movies. Right. Um, and Quint, you get a real sense here, like he really takes in Hooper as his little as his, as his Gilligan to his skipper at that point. <laughs> right, right, you know, it's really good. It's kind of sweet. It's really almost. good. It is. It's it is, and it reminds me of people who I knew like that, like my relatives are very quint like in nature, you know, uh-huh. like they're very skeptical of people. They're very prone to stereotyping people. <laughs> um, they're horrible in many, many respects. Most of them are, <laughs> are dead now, but like there's a way that, um, like any type of personal interaction that was meaningful, you could tell that it meant something to them and they could put aside all the other stuff. If, as long as they could, you know, pick guitars with you and it would be, you know what I mean? Like there was yeah. something about the, the, and, and so that felt really uh, nice and real. And his story of the Indianapolis is like, I, I, I have a hard time. Like I love radio so much mm-hmm. and, um, I love the storytelling in radio. It is still like my ideal form. And I think of Quint's story as the first radio story I ever really loved. It's yeah. like, it is told just perfectly. Like, like you could almost see it, <laughs> like, um, the story core music starts and then, yeah. you know, like on, <laughs> on morning edition and then Quint just starts and you can remember some teenager going, Oh my God, I can't believe it, you know, on the other side. And it, it's just like, it is, um, it is a perfectly told natural, I think, I just think it's a radio story. I would cut it out and put it on the radio in a heartbeat. It's like perfect. And it's funny because there's all this stuff, all this great activity. You've already had the adventure music playing, you know, in the barrels and shooting it and everything. But that moment is so riveting. I love it. That's my favorite moment in the movie. I mean, one of mine for sure. And um, the backstory there for that scene was that uh, that was not in the book. And uh, Spielberg brought in the great screenwriter and filmmaker John Milius to write that monologue. And then apparently, uh, Robert Shaw himself too, who was a playwright, uh, went in and, and did some rewriting on it and kind of worked with Milius on it. And, you know, just ends up being like one of the most iconic monologues, uh, in movie history for sure. Oh, it, it is so good. And it so naturally moves into, you know, uh, you know, from one scene to the scar comparing scene to the other. Uh huh. And, um, and the fact that I've, I've thought about this a lot, it's like, because it gets called out because they're comparing scars and Brody says, what's that on your arm? And it's a, it's the removal of the tattoo of the Indianapolis. Right. And, and I think about that all the time. Like, why would he remove it? 
Yeah. You know, and like what was going on in his head that he would remove it um, instead of keep it there. And w- with every part of his character that you get in other ways, um, that seems like this extreme moment in his life that you have no knowledge of, but you just have this little tiny peek into. And I, I love that part of it, too. It's just. It's yeah, just so for good. sure. Uh, I never really thought about that. That is super interesting that he would. And that and that's like old sailors don't have tattoos removed, you know? Yeah, exactly. So like the, the, the level of trauma or whatever he was trying to get away from or whatever it was, like it, it was clearly something that haunted him in a way like it was not an adventure story to him. Yeah. What, what happened. And, or maybe, you know, maybe it was just something else. Like you don't really know. It's an incomplete narrative, but I've tried to fill that in my head lots of times and I yeah. never come up with like what I think is the answer, but it, it, it mainly has to do with the, him trying to get away from it and him willingness, his willingness to talk about it at that moment. Um, I think it points to how close he's gotten in this short amount of time, but also that he senses the the peril that they're in and wants them to be really aware of what's, you know, what's about to happen and what's about to happen, like happens almost immediately afterward. Like they start, you know, the shark starts knocking into the boat. Yeah. Um, in the next scene. So. Yeah, it's funny, and I never really thought about it, but it's almost like Quint knows this is the last time I'm going to tell this story. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Um, that yeah. scene also has uh, another line that I obnoxiously quote <laughs> that no one ever ever gets. Uh, but a, a lot of times when uh, someone will toast a, a drink, I'll say, let's drink to our legs. And everyone's always like, what? <laughs> what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> I would get to I would get it. We, all we, right. Yeah. Well, I'll toast you that way next time I see you. Um, <laughs> Excellent. All right. Well, I guess let's move on to the ending of the movie. Um, mm. I, you know, I didn't want to go through this all piece by piece, but I think we've done a good job of kind of covering the main uh, sections. <laughs> sure. But uh, you have to talk about the end because um, there is plenty of foreshadowing that that tank is going to play a part. But yeah. again, it is so well crafted and subtly done. It never, ever feels like you're being hit over the head like you feel these days like when you see the gun in act one it's going to go off in act three you see that tank in act one uh in the little picture remember when he's flipping through the book there's a photograph Mm -hmm. of a shark with a tank in his mouth and then Mm -hmm. midway uh you hear dreyfus uh has a line about when the tanks get loose like you know those things can blow up but you still don't feel like i never put the two together when i was first seeing that movie for the first time no you know, not at all. That that's really well done. Uh, I, I mean, it's just perfect foreshadowing, and and you don't exactly know. Well, I mean, you think it's probably one of the things I like is the the moment when Quint realizes that they're in real trouble, and he's like, "Okay, so Hooper, what is this stuff you're going to do?" And you know, lets him try it. Yeah, and it doesn't you know work obviously, but but um, and you think that maybe that's the payoff of it all you know that's why they're reminding you of the high-tech gear um right yeah it totally it, it it totally is used uh somewhat differently i think i have also in addition to um sharks inside of uh pools <laughs> i have my i have a huge fear of compressed air I oh really i'm t- terrified of compressed air <laughs> i used to when i lived in athens and in, in, in grad school when i was when i was leaving i i used i used to work in the warehouses sears at the mall and uh i'd have to move around these big red compressed air uh containers for you know people buy them to you know put their you know put air in their john deere tractors or something uh-huh. and uh 
And I hated it because I just feel like they're going to blow up any minute, you know, which are totally not true. <laughs> they're, they're totally fine. But I, I, um, I think I might be because of Jaws that I have a fear of uh, compressed air too. I hate filling, um, my, uh, air on my tires. Uh huh. Cause you think the tire's going to blow up in your face? I totally think the tire's going to blow up in my face. <laughs> I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. <laughs> That's very funny. This is very brave of you to admit this, Roman. <laughs> yeah it's a it's a it's a real problem but yeah the uh, foreshadowing is, i mean i don't love i don't love love the ending you know like um it, it's so over the top as compared to the rest of it but it's so like it earns it it earned anything like if a spaceship came down it would earn yeah. it to me you know? <laughs> yeah. so so um so i'm okay with it um it's funny like this time i really paid attention to um the fact that uh Brody is muttering to himself his plan, you know, when, when he's about to yeah. take the shot or put the thing, like he knows what he's doing, even though it looks, it's, it's like filmed, like it could have been a little bit more accidental or just, um, you know, just a, a, a improvisational, but he's, you know, he's really, you know, he, he has an idea and, uh, it's, it's interesting, it's interesting to watch it, um, pay off and have it work. I mean, Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, the true, uh, terror of that movie is like the last eight minutes, <laughs> you know, and, and it is over the top. And very famously, you know, the shark didn't work well. The mechanical shark, Bruce, right. uh, didn't work well. So Spielberg had to kind of redo the story. But initially, you know, it was, it was going to be way more of a horror movie, like a Saturday afternoon kind of B movie style horror movie. And, um, and Spielberg admits and everyone, you know, is sort of agreed over the years that it was a godsend, uh, that he was forced to be a little more creative and teasing the shark out. But I think deep right. down, like he was like, all right, but I've got to like the, the quint death has to be the, the money shot. And it's just right. so over yeah. the top and terrifying and gory and awful. Um, yeah. it, it's just kind of perfect almost. It, it is. I, I totally, that one, that part is, is a, a is kind of fine to me. Like it just gives you the idea of this is a monster, um, in in a in a new way rather than just like a it, it's not it's not a thing of nature at this point anymore. It's yeah, it's a real monster, and uh, and so that that part I like because the the th- you know things going down it kind of happens a little bit in slow motion and um, and Quint's fighting to the end. He has a like machete like yeah right <laughs> below the shark's eyeball. I know. <laughs> you know? Um, and, uh, and it is really, really great. I mean, I think that my favorite part of the ending is the, there's like a wide shot of the, of the, um, the boat tipped over and, uh, Brody is in the crow's nest. Yeah. And at this angle, and it's just beautiful. It's just like, it is a gorgeous shot. And, um, and, and it, it, you know, he has just a little bit of time before he's just submerged. Like that is not a good place to be. No, it was, it was a <laughs> and, terrifying uh, shot. I, I just think it's, um, that there, I think the shots in the ocean are, are just gorgeous, but that's, that's my favorite is that side is like with the, it's at a, I don't know, maybe like a 30 degree angle off of, off of being completely submerged. It's just gorgeous. And then of course they, the shark dies, explodes, and then, um, <laughs> From underwater, you see the shark coming apart and falling away, mm-hmm. and that that beautiful like tinkling score yeah. from John Williams comes in, and all of a sudden, 
like this little bit of a pang for the shark comes up somehow for me at least where you kind of feel bad for this thing i just feel like i you know his his reaction is so again exuberant you know like and he's in this real struggle with this uh creature and uh and it was you know very unlikely to work (laughs) and so um so yeah i i I guess I, I, I do get it a little bit, but I think I'm more, I'm very much more on Brody's side. And so I'm, I'm like, yeah. cool with it. The the one thing I do think all the time is like, well, there's going to be a bunch of more sharks that are going to show up because this thing right. <laughs> is bleeding in the water and they need to get out of there really fast. It always, that part always makes me nervous. It's never, um, it's not hinted at at all or, you know, or, or, you know, expect it to happen. But yeah, that, that I always think about that. Well, and when they're kicking back to shore with the, the seagulls, there's like exactly. hundreds and hundreds of seagulls. I always remember the first times I watched it being like, kick faster, boys, kick faster. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And Hooper shows up and you kind of, you, it's so harrowing up to that point that you do kind of forget about him. Yeah. Legitimately. Uh, so it doesn't feel like a, a weird, you know, just like a trick at the end that he comes back. So. Yeah. And, you know, the only problem I have with this entire movie is if it were me, I would not have shown Hooper getting away and hiding behind the rocks when he got out of the shark yeah. cage. I would have left it a little more mm-hmm. like you thought he was dead and then surprise he's not. But that maybe have been too hokey, you know? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if it would play either way. I, I do. I think I think I needed it. I think I needed it so that it didn't it didn't feel like a a weird, you know, carry, you know, right. out of the grave at the end of carry type of thing. Like I, I do, I think I appreciate the, the, um, the, the guidance there. Um, yeah. Spielberg personally. All right. So, uh, these last two segments, uh, one is called what Ebert said. This movie is a complete disappointment. Roger Ebert, my favorite film critic of all time. I like to go back and just read a, a quick little piece from his reviews. Uh, you'll be pleased to know that Ebert gave Jaws four stars, max rating, <laughs> and ostensibly Good. a thumbs up. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, and here's his uh, quote. Uh, the screenplay by Spielberg, Benchley, and Carl Gottlieb, with contributions by Howard Sackler and a crucial speech by Shaw, does not twist itself into parables. The characters all have straightforward motivations. A little dialogue goes a long way. Individual lines stand out for hard-edged terseness. The cinematography by Bill Butler is at pains to tell the story in the midst of middle-class America. If Spielberg's favorite location would become the suburbs, Jaws was suburbanites on vacation. Hmm. Wow. That's good. Yeah. Hey, that's <laughs> I good. I what he was doing. <laughs> uh, and then if you have yeah. a couple more minutes, we uh, like to finish out Movie Crush with five questions uh, for Roman. Yeah. Uh, and sure. these can just be quick answers. Uh, and this is just a little bit about your f- film going history. Uh, first mm-hmm. movie you remember seeing in the theater. Yeah. Blue Lagoon. That's a great one. That's <laughs> no. not going to forget that. Yeah. Uh, first R rated movie you saw, uh, whether in the theater well, or at yeah. home. That would be Blue Lagoon too. I okay. Think, right. Was that, was that R rated? Uh, I guess it probably was. I mean, the, other, the only one that, that I, it, the other one I remember really early on VHS was The Shining. I saw really young and it oh. really, it really threw me off. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Lord, Roman. <laughs> um, <I know. laughs> who were your parents for God's sakes? 
<laughs> they, you know, they were they were working hard. My, my, I had a single mom, so she worked hard oh, okay. in other ways, and so, right. so it, was, it was just I was on my to my own devices. <laughs> uh, that has its good and its bad sides, I guess. Um, <laughs> exactly. Will you? Question three: Will you walk out of a bad movie? Uh, and if so, what was the last one? I've only walked out uh, once. I walked out of a movie called Malice, which is um, Alec Baldwin. I, I like. Yeah, Alec Baldwin. And I just found it. I was like, it was, I was in college at Oberlin and I just, I just like, I was like, every, I hate everything. I hate every moment of these people. And I just, I had to get out of there. I just felt gross. So I left. Yeah. Yeah. Oberlin, man, I've no, I know like, you're like the fourth person I know from Oberlin. <laughs> it's a good place. Yeah. All right. So <laughs> number four, uh, do you have a movie you can think of that is a guilty pleasure movie for you? Yeah. I don't know. I don't, I feel like I work so much. I have so few pleasures that, that I, uh, can't I indulge guilty, in guilty about ones. them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think if you were to say like, is there a movie I like that's probably uncharacteristic, uncharacteristic for a person who's like a 42 year old man to like, uh-huh. um, like, I really appreciate the movie Bring It On. I think it's okay. really well made. I mean, I think that I, I've, I saw that a couple of times. And I was like, that's a well-made movie. And then Pitch Perfect, which is exactly the same movie. <laughs> yeah. And you could you could watch them side by side. And I think the, the story beats happen exactly the same. Um, they're, I mean, they're they're exactly the same, just like the details have changed. Right. And um, and so I, I appreciate those two movies. Uh, yeah. I You know, like. I, my weird thing with movies is I, sometimes I don't watch my favorite movies very often. I tend to watch movies I kind of like, um, more often, like they're unchallenging that I put on. So like my one for this for a long time was gross point blank, uh, which yeah. is not a movie. It's not a movie I think is all that good. Right. And I think that part of my mind is trying to resolve the things I like about it and how I would improve it or something <laughs> like there's something about there's a puzzle to it. Yeah. So I sometimes watch movies that are not my favorite movies over and over again, which it seems uh, like a ridiculous waste of time. <laughs> at this point. I like that. That's interesting. Uh, and final yeah. question here, um, sort of a movie going one on one with Roman Mars. Uh, do you what's your what's your movie ritual? I know you don't get out much, but when you do go out to a movie, is there do you have a preferred seat? Do you get the same thing at the concession stand every time? Do you have any rituals? I I do. I tend to go early. Um, when I'm by myself, I'll, I'll 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 go early and I'll bring something to read. And I I like to go to movies by myself or with my my two kids. Uh-huh. And so I am not like a I like I love I do things by myself all the time. I like I like being you know so movies are one of those things I actually kind of like to do alone because I'm not one of those people that likes to like during the credits like turn to someone and say so what do you think you know right. like, I'm not that guy <laughs> that's not my thing. So I like to just kind of live in it. Yeah. And so that would be my ritual. And I'm kind of like a center. I'm a center a little more forward than, you know, to the front than most people tend to like. Like, I'd like the first row of the second, you know, t- you know, tier uh-huh. of, um, and cause I also like to get, you know, get, be able to get out. Like, I, I don't know. <laughs> and, um, and I, you know, I like to go early and I, I can't be late and you know, all that sort of stuff. Like, I don't like to rush. So right. th- those would be my general rituals. And, and then the, the tendency to go, Alone, like a movie is like not something to me that I like the collective energy of, uh, of a room for something like, uh, a horror movie, like Get Out or, or, uh, a comedy. 
but I don't need like personal friends to be with me. <laughs> you, lo- you love to be surrounded by strangers and share an experience exactly. with people you don't know. Exactly. I love it. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks, man. My pleasure. I appreciate it. Uh, this so, has been a good one. Oh, thanks. That's so, so nice. I, I like talking to you about this stuff. So yeah, and I appreciate uh, you thinking of me. Of course, everyone uh, check out ninety nine percent invisible and um, what's it called? What Trump can teach us about con law? Yep, those two. And two just shows. the whole Radiotopia network. You uh, pick a show, and it's going to be great. I guarantee it. Yeah, me too. I guarantee it. All right. Thanks, Roman. <laughs> Thank you, Chuck. I appreciate it. Wow, so that was just wonderful. Uh, what a great chat with Roman Mars about Jaws. Um, I think it was pretty clear that both of us are just super fans of that movie. Um, so that was a lot of fun for me. Um, I felt like, geez, we probably could have, we probably could have sit down for three hours and broken that movie apart piece by piece and, and really walked out on it. So, um, hope we didn't do that too much for you non, uh, Jaws fanatics. But um, that was a lot of fun for me, and it seemed like Roman had a good time. Uh, and in his case, it seemed like um, we'll chalk this one up to general artistry. It seems like his appreciation for Jaws uh, very much was about uh, just how well-crafted uh, the movie was and the direction and the editing and the music and the pacing and the acting. Uh, he seemed to really, really be interested in just what a what a fine example of filmmaking that Jaws was. So it wasn't really nostalgia or um, have anything personal for him. He's not an ichthyologist, as far as I know. Um, it was interesting to hear about his fear of compressed air. Never heard that one. I don't know if there's a real phobia. Maybe we could call it uh, romophobia or something. We could make it up. But um, good dude, great talk. And I uh, hope we illuminated a little bit for you Jaws fans out there a little bit more about the movie. Uh, just had a lot of fun with that one. So uh, we'll see you next time. And until then, uh, would it kill you to share some M&Ms? You guys have a good week. Movie Crush is produced, edited, engineered, and scored by Noel Brown from our podcast studio at Pond City Market, Atlanta, Georgia. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. What's up, y'all? Janice Torres here. And I'm Austin Hankwitz. We're the hosts of Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories, a podcast presented by iHeartRadio's Ruby Studios and Intuit QuickBooks. Join us as we speak with small business owners about the tools they use to turn their ideas into success. From finding that initial spark of entrepreneurship to organizing payments and invoices, we've got you covered. So follow and listen to Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, 
you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.